Good morning. It's like four of you heard me. It's good. If I could have security pay attention to this group right there, they're going to be a problem today. Hey, my name is Craig. Uh, I'm one of the pastors on staff here at Kensington, and you're like, really? I've never seen you before. That's because I'm new. Uh, I just came in today. It's literally my first day up here on this stage. That's what we do here. When you're new, we put you on stage. So welcome. We're looking for you. Uh, actually, I think I have the best job at Kensington. I'm not going to lie. I have one part role as uh, director of our church planning efforts, and I have one part role, which I'm super excited about this morning, as teaching pastor here at Clinton Township alongside Chris. And I am just ecstatic to be here with you guys today. And I get to give the message in a couple minutes. And I'm just going to tell you, there's not, in my opinion, a better day to have as your first day speaking than Baptism Sunday. There are two primary themes that will drive us this morning, and I think you'll feel them before we're done. One is change, and that's what all of this is about today. And the other is gratitude. And you're going to see today how those two just go beautifully hand in hand. You're not just going to see it, you're going to witness it this morning. So I've heard also that 1030 is the rowdy group. Is that true? (laughs) Kind of. All right. Uh, 830 did way better, or 45, so... You need a little more coffee in you. Um, so here's one of the things I love that we get to do right now as well. And it's one of the reasons, honestly, why I'm so excited to be a part of Kensington. This is a church that is so dedicated to seeing men and women meet God, like really meet him, not just learn about him, not just know him, like meet him. And when you do, everything changes. You want to watch a video of one of our very own whose name is Melissa. She spends most of her time hanging out at the Troy campus but she is one of ours, and Kensington is a place that God has been using to radically introduce himself to her and begin to change her life. So check out your screens and meet Melissa. So I'm not really a religious person. Never really have been. But I've always wanted to learn more. I would love to believe in Jesus. It's not that I flat out don't, I'm just super skeptical. Hi everyone, I'm Melissa. I'm 35 years old, a mother to three beautiful little girls and a wife to an awesome guy. Welcome to my blog. I'm a pretty open book in, you know, most aspects of my life. Uh, So I don't know why I felt this awkwardness or almost like embarrassment to share this aspect of my life. Um, But I feel that once I did, uh, once I put it all on social media and I'm just like, let's be open, let's be vulnerable, let's just see what happens. Um, I just want to be like completely authentic. This is not like the first time I've tried to seek uh, the truth or my answers or God, Jesus, anything. Um, I've been struggling this honestly since high school. Everything that is going on nowadays makes it even harder to know where to turn for sources on this stuff. I don't know. Anyone have any advice, ideas? I got 151 responses. And do you know of those 151 responses, how many were negative? Zero. But there were two things that really stood out in those comments. Number one, Oh my gosh, Melissa, that's exactly how I feel. Oh my gosh, I'm going through that same thing. Please let me know what you find out. Blah, blah, blah. There's other seekers like me. And the other one was, check out Kensington, check out Kensington, check out Kensington. And I'm like, whoa, um, that's crazy. Like, 
I'm not kidding you, at least 35 comments were, go to Kensington. One of my friends actually goes to the Troy campus. Actually, she's like, Melissa, I'm telling you, message the lead pastor of the Troy campus, Danny Cox, and see if he'll meet with you. He's awesome. You know, you might be really encouraged by talking to him. So um, I emailed him. I explained basically my life story to him. And I was like, can we meet for a couple minutes? When I first met her, Melissa, I was taken with her right away because that's my journey. I saw myself in her. I had so many questions about Christ. It took him, he said, three years to find Christ in his 30s. Um, so I think, so I think, my gosh, if Danny Cox, the lead pastor of a large church, um, if it took him three years to find Christ, then you know what? I can do it too. The first service I went to at Kensington was um, the summer of 2018, and they were doing a series called Kensington at the Movies. Today, we're going to continue on in this series by looking at Black Panther. And the one I went to was on Black Panther. And Andrew Kim was preaching, and the message was amazing, and it totally hit home because he talked about the, the Mahatma Gandhi quote, um, I like your Christ, but I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. And when you hear that, it's like, ouch, that hurts, that cuts deep. And I'm like, whoa. And the fact that Kensington recognized that, especially like on my first time there, it was really refreshing because I feel that a lot of churches just sweep that kind of stuff under the rug. Truthfully, the biggest issue I struggle with is, is Jesus really the son of God? Another big question I have is, um, is there life after death? And it's really refreshing to know that um, here at Kensington, like, I'm not alone. Everybody doubts. Even, like, the Pope and Mother Teresa, they've had doubts. I didn't know that. That's crazy. Like, that makes me feel so good. So I, I've done a lot through Kensington. The first thing I did was I joined um, a course, Alpha. It just really made me open my eyes and think about things in ways I never had before. I went on a women's retreat through Kensington in the spring called Smash. I literally did all the workshops I could because I thought, you know what? I'm here by myself. I know no one. I want, I'm here to learn. All right, little girl, are you ready to go? Me and I, she's amazing. And just everybody I've come in contact with, not even the people who work here, just like the people that attend the service. I met a million people here that have been um, amazing. Nancy Worm, I, uh, I, she's sort of like a mentor to me and I, she's amazing. She said, I'm turning 35, I need to answer this question. I need to figure out my faith, not just for myself, but for my family now. And I don't want to wait any longer. This is the year I'm going to learn everything I need to, to make this decision. Having that mission has really spurred her on to take step after step after step to answer the questions that she has. She wants to land this. My heart is open and exploding. I feel so happy. Do I still identify as a seeker? Yes. My brain needs to catch up with my heart. I'm still in the beginning stages, maybe uh, on like mile 10 of my 100 mile walk or whatever, um, but it doesn't bother me. I think once you take that, once you take that leap of faith, uh, once you take that leap and you jump off and you start your journey, you don't really care when, when it ends.
You hear churches a lot or people on the news or on TV, they have a lot of these aha moments when coming to Christ. But what I've learned is most people that find Christ, it's not this big aha moment. It's these little tiny things over the years. And I feel like that's me. I look at where I am now and I look at where I was like a year and a half ago and it's, I'm night and day difference and it's amazing. My brain, the walls are coming down more, but it's not, it hasn't quite collapsed yet like I'd like it to. Does this blog resonate with you? Are you seeking? Come take this journey with me. They say a journey of a thousand miles starts with a single step. Take that first step. You will never regret the journey. I remember that first meeting I had with Melissa. We met in the lobby and we sat down together and she was so intense. She was searching for truth. We had a great conversation. I recommended one particular book. I think I actually even gave it to her and she took it home and she wrote back. She's like, no, no, not this kind of book. I'm looking for this. So I gave her another one and she read through that and it's been like that ever since. She is on a mission to find out who this person of Jesus is. And what I love about her, and I think it's true for all of us, we have questions and we have doubts about faith. Even myself to this day, I still have questions and doubts. And I don't think God is up in heaven wringing his hands going, I don't know how to answer that question. I'm not sure what to do with that doubt. God knows. And what I love about our community is that we are creating a space where people can come in with their doubts, with their questions, and engage with Jesus and with his people. And so this year, I would invite you to make a year-end Christmas gift to Kensington. And as you do that, I want you to know something. You are investing in a space where people can bring all they have in their heart and present it to Jesus. And here's what I know about Jesus. After watching work for so long in our community, he will take our questions, he will take our doubts, he will draw us into himself, and he will transform lives. It's one of the things that's cool about being new to Kensington. I'm, I'm still, I'm a couple weeks in. So I'm a little bit of like an insider or outsider almost because I'm so new. And so one of the things that I've been doing just to kind of get in is inundate myself with all things Kensington, trying to understand what we've done and, and how we've done it and where we've done it and when we've done it and just really saturate myself in our history. And here's what's been cool. And I, and I say this hopefully because you can trust that in this unique place I'm at where I'm, I'm in, but I'm just barely in. Like, I will tell you, I thought I was getting involved in something powerful that has made such an impact locally and nationally and internationally. And here's what I've learned in the last couple of weeks. I had no idea. Like, God has used this place to do so much, it's mind-boggling. Which is why I just, if I can for one second, just echo what Danny said. This, I know this is a time of year when, like, there's so many things that we're all trying to figure out what to give to and what not and just what to do this time of year. And I'll just tell you, here's what my family and I believe, and that's why we are invested here with everything we have, is that giving here your time, your energy, your, your possessions, your treasures, trusting your finances, it doesn't just make a difference. Like, it's changing lives. 
It's literally changing lives here, around us, and around the world in an unbelievable way. My son, even as we've just been sharing at the dinner table some of the things that this new church of ours is doing, he looked at me the other day and he's like, Dad, do you realize this place is having an impact around the world? I was like, I know, isn't it crazy? He's like, yeah, and you're on staff with them now. He goes, are you sure you're ready for that? (laughs) So it's like we get it, like, wow, and we get to be a part of this. So there's so many ways that you can do that, and there's some of the opportunities for how you can contribute if it's something that you're willing to do. But we would just ask that you would seriously consider it because it really does matter, and it's making such a difference. So I'm excited over my time in the next couple of weeks and months just to get to know you better and for you to get to know me. And and part of what I'm excited about is the opportunity to share parts of my story that really have led to me being here. My wife and I and, and our three kids have left a church that we were involved in for 12 years, more than that actually, and, and you know how that goes. Maybe when, when you leave a church where you've been at for so long, it, it just affects friendships and it, it affects so many things in your life. And, and part of the reason I want to kind of share some of that over time with you is because some of the stuff that God has been doing in our lives to bring us to this place right now, I don't think is unique to us. I don't think I'm special. And I don't think God is up to something in our life to create some of what I think he's trying to create through us as a family that is any different than what he wants to do through you. Like he has plans and dreams and visions and and hopefully part of maybe me getting to know you and you getting to know me will create a reality for some of you that holy smokes, the creator of the universe knows me, has plans for me and all I have to do is trust him to step into those. I I think the one small part of my story I'll give you this morning is this. The church I was at, I wasn't just at, I actually started it 12 years ago. So I was the lead pastor there for the last 12 years, and they're over in Warren. It's called Paradox. They're still doing great, but I just had a moment where I felt like God was moving me from that. And in my role there as lead pastor, I probably wore at any given time a million hats, but one of them was I was the primary speaker. So every Sunday, most of the weeks, most of the year, I was doing this. And in the transition from there to here, it dawned on me recently, I've not been on a stage giving a message in probably just over two months now, which has been the longest amount of time not doing this in over 20 years of working in the church. And, and I think the reason I want to tell you that is because, especially fitting with what we're going to talk about today, it just hit me in a really powerful way. I am so thankful and I am so grateful that I get the opportunity to stand on a stage like this week in and week out and tell you all about what I think is the truest, realest, most beautiful thing in all of existence. And it's that there is a God. His name is Jesus. And he is absolutely wildly passionate about every one of you. And some of you might be going, I don't even know if I believe in him. Doesn't change how he feels about you. He's nuts about you still. Still. So here's what I'm going to do. I want to take us to a place in the Bible this morning that is a story found in a, a book called Luke. It's in the 17th chapter. So if you're tactile and you like to actually have your Bible in hand, I'll give you a couple minutes to get there before I do. We also put all the verses on screen or some people use Bible apps like version. So whatever your choice is. Luke 17 is where we're going to go. And here's what I love about Luke 17. If you have a church background, this probably isn't an unfamiliar story to you. You've heard it at some point or another. It's about these 10 guys who were sick, they had leprosy, and Jesus healed them. But here's what I love. Even though if you have a church background, you maybe heard this story before, you're familiar with it. I grew up in the church, and I can't think of one single time I've heard a message taught from this. 
So whether you have a strong church background or no church background, whether you're here today and you're like, there's a God and his name is Jesus, or you're like, I don't know. This is one of those kinds of stories that I think stands unique in the Bible with an ability to say something fresh to all of us this morning. So that's where we're going to go. And before we get there, I just want to read one passage out of a different place that I think, for me, sets a bit of kind of trajectory and where we're going to head. And by the end of the morning, I'm going to bring us right back to the same passage out of Philippians. Chapter 4 says this, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So one of the things that's a habit for me before I speak is I am absolutely convinced that this book was authored by God through the hands and the minds and the experiences of men. But since God authored it, it makes sense to ask him to explain it to us. So I'm going to do that for a minute. I'm just going to pray, and then we're going to dive in. Father in heaven, here's what's so good this morning is I believe you're not just in heaven, but you're here. You're here with us. And I am just aware that you are the God that the scriptures say gives names to us all. That, that you even say in the scriptures that, that there's a day when, when every knee will bow before you and declare Jesus is Lord. So even for a moment this morning now, I just want to bow before you. And on knee, I want to say you are Jesus. You are Lord. You are God. You are creator. You are good. You are here. The scriptures tell us that even if just like two of us came today, you've told us that you would be here in some kind of unique way where your presence would just be more felt and real and visceral and, and heavy even in this place in a good way. Well, there's more than two of us, God. So would you be so present today as to capture our attention and most of all our hearts and give us what we need from you today, whether that's encouragement, affection, correction, or just that gentle sense that you're with us, beside us in all things. Make sense of your scriptures that you gave us to help us understand you better and what life done with you looks like. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, so I'm going to ask you all a question. Before I do, I want to actually, let me do this first. Uh, one of the things that is really a part of us for a Sunday morning is taking up our offering. And, and this, is, this is one of those weird parts of church sometimes that we can go, everything's worship and then we take money. Actually, I think that's a part of worship. But here's the one thing I do want you to know is we're going to take up our offering right now is if you're new to Kensington or if you're new to church, like just let those bags pass you by. And the reason is, is because we're not trying to get anything out of you this morning. Our God is a giver. He's not a taker. So you just feel free to take from us. But there are many of us here that Kensington is our church. Jesus is our Lord. We know what to do at this moment. And so you do what's appropriate for you in this moment as those go by you. So here's a question I want to ask this morning. And, and you're in church, so you got to tell the truth, all right? Everybody say, we will. Some of you didn't say, we will. All right. Have you ever thought, or maybe even said out loud, maybe you've even shouted it out loud, you ever thought this, I just wish you appreciated me more. I just wish you appreciated me more. Like the, the hand of, of everybody who's a parent should be up right now, right? Yes. And if you're like, I'm a parent and I don't feel like that, then they're under one. Just wait. Right? So the, the house that my family and I live in, we, we moved into like nine years ago. And when we got there, I'll never forget my kids. And we all walked into the backyard. I got three kids and, and my wife, Nicole, and they're here somewhere. And, and we, we walk into the backyard and there's this gorgeous silver maple tree in the backyard. Like if there ever was a treehouse tree, it was this tree. 
And, and everybody knew it. Like, all my kids were like, Dad, we got to build a treehouse. So right away, I was like, treehouse on. We're going to build a treehouse. But you know what happens. It's like you move in, and, and then it's unpacked boxes. A year later, they're still not unpacked, and life gets busy. And years later, I still hadn't built the treehouse. And I'll never forget this one day. My son's in the backyard, and he's talking to his friend Anthony. And he didn't know I, I was in earshot. And he goes, yeah, my dad said he was going to build a treehouse. He probably never will. And I was like, oh. And not only did that sting, but then I had all these pictures of therapy bills I'd have to pay one day. So I just determined right then and there. It was late fall, but I didn't care. I'm like, I'm building a treehouse. I'm like, all right, let's get the floor in before winter, and then we'll pause, and then we'll build everything else come the spring. And so we did. And this was a project my son and I did. We kept turning down help because I just I wanted it to be our thing. So by that spring, this is what we ended up with. It's a little bit more extreme than I told my wife it was going to be. And my neighbor thinks I'm nuts. He doesn't know what to make of me. But we get this thing built. And, and do you remember that scene in Tom Hanks' movie, Castaway, when he made fire? If you ever saw the movie where he was like, I make fire. Like, that's what I thought my kids would do about me for the rest of their lives. My dad, builder of things. Like, it just praise me to their friends and praise me to their kids one day and praise me to their grandkids. Like, that's just what I thought was going to happen. A couple days later... I come downstairs, and I'm like, hey, where are the girls? And my twin daughters. And my wife goes, oh, they're outside. I'm like, oh, they're in the treehouse. I know it. I'm like, I'm going to go play with them in the treehouse. It's going to be such a special moment, me and my girls. So I walked outside, and luckily I had my phone on me because this is actually what I found them doing. So I recorded it. Check it out. Hey, girls. Hey, why did you build this little structure out of pallets that I had left over? Because we wanted a fort to play in. Because you wanted a what? A fort to play in. You wanted a fort to play in. Huh. Too bad you didn't have anything like that previously built. Okay. <laughs> just, just wanted to double check. Y'all enjoy your fort. Love you. <laughs> I had to beg their permission to put that on the screen in front of you today. But have you, listen, have you ever had a moment like that where you have you've gone out of your way to do something or to say something or to give something and, and it just went unlooked or overlooked. It went ignored. In a, in a moment where you just found yourself going, like it was a, it's a pallet fort moment where you're like, don't you see what I just, and there's no appreciation. Like if you had that, I mean, I'll answer for you. Yes, if you can fog a mirror, you've had that moment. We've all had that moment. And when you have a moment where there's a lack of gratitude and appreciation for something that you've done, like that matters. And it doesn't just matter. Those moments sting, if we're honest. They cut. And, and part of the reason why they matter, like we could probably come up with a list of reasons, but part of the reason I want to narrow down on for a minute is far less my opinion and much more backed up by all kinds of research and study. There have been countless studies that have been done with different groups of people to see like, what happens when one group intentionally chooses gratitude, thankfulness, versus a controlled group that doesn't? And maybe even more intentionally chooses things like pessimism, being negative, complaining. And, and the effects are unbelievable. One study that I read in psychology today literally boiled it down to this line. A lack of gratitude leads to a loss of life. You know, isn't that a little bit extreme? Maybe. This is part of what that research concluded. Gratitude ends up activating the hypothalamus, which creates, in effect, a downstream on metabolism, stress, 
and all other kinds of various behaviors. The hypothalamus is located at the base of the brain and regulates hormones responsible for many critical functions, such as body temperature. So by the way, next time my wife complains, when you complain about the heat in the house from now on, this says you're not being thankful for things in your life. That's what it says. You'd be warmer if you were happier. Um, I have a comfy couch. I don't care. Appetite, sleep, emotional responses. As a matter of fact, one of the neurological neurochemicals associated with parts of the brain affected by gratitude is dopamine, which we know as what? The, yeah, the pleasure hormone, right? So as I continued to read and I went on, the article also started to draw conclusions between the way that we as a culture are becoming more self-centered and our lack of being a gracious, gratitude-filled people. The the more we are self-absorbed, the more we look at life and go, I don't have, you didn't do, you didn't say, leads us to be, and nobody should be surprised by this, but it leads us to be less the people that go, I do have, you did say, and thank you. And in that culture, what we are becoming, according to this study, is this. We are becoming more narcissistic, full of less empathy, less giving, more selfish, and it's also lending to us being the more polarized people that we are constantly frustrated with when we see, where we just set up in our camps and throw darts at one another. Here's the bottom line. A culture of people that is becoming increasingly self-absorbed is becoming less gracious and is becoming less thankful. And that is a culture of people on a destructive, dangerous path. The loss of gratitude leads to a loss of life. And, and, and one of the things that I think we have a problem sometimes doing when we hear about problems is, is we start to think that they're brand new. Like, well, that's why we should go back to the good old days. Well, I don't know that the good old days were tons better. Like, there might be some real validity to the fact that this is a, a problem on the rise, but it's not a new problem. And this is what I love so much about the Bible. This, this is where the Bible becomes so powerful at times. Because one of the things we do when we, we talk about the Bible is we call it Bible stories. I don't know if you're like me, but the word story for me always conjures up ideas of fiction and fantasy. This is not a book of fiction and fantasy. This is a book of biblical historical accounts. These are real men and women who had to deal with real moments in life. Real frustrating moments. Real disappointing moments. Including Jesus who being the God of creation put human skin on and walked among us and yet did not refuse for himself the ability to encounter constant disappointment in life. And in one of those moments, it's the one we're going to read about in Luke. You're like, man, he's going to finally get to Luke. Good grief. (laughs) It's a moment where he has this encounter with these 10 people that need something and he offers something and they have a choice to make. Whether or not to acknowledge it and be thankful or not. So here's the way that this goes. Verse 11. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him, and they stood at a distance. I want to, as we read, I'm going to point out just a couple of quick things, because I think sometimes what's as powerful as what is said is also what we see. So one of the things that we see in the story is you've got these ten guys, and it says they were at a, do you remember what it say? 
distance. There's a distance that they're keeping from, from Jesus. And, and I don't know if you have any historical background in, in the Bible and know anything about it, but these guys with leprosy, there's all kinds of issues. For, for one, it is a condition that can be contagious. You can spread it. And so there was an Old Testament law that had very specific and clear instructions on how to handle people with leprosy. But over time, part of what happened is what was intended to be a way to care for these people became a heartless reaction to them. And instead of caring for them, they were just ostracized and pushed away. And then you add to that, there was also this spiritual belief that their sickness, their illness was evidence of God's displeasure with them. That either they or somebody in their family line had really jacked it up. And so God had kind of punished them with this illness. So you wrap all of that together and these lepers in this society become some of the most outcast people. That's why they're where they are. They're on the outskirts. They're on the border. They're not in the town because nobody wants them around. And, and I think there's probably a lot of different ways that we can react to the idea of Jesus. But I think whatever they are on that spectrum, you could probably boil them down into one of two camps that you start to see here. Camp number one is that we can, we can approach him. We can go to him. We can try to understand him. We can try to know him. We can learn about him. That's the process that Melissa's on. That's the journey she's on. But we can also do what these guys have done and keep them at a distance. Not sure what to do with them. And, and here's been my experience. Most of the time when we keep them at a distance, a lot of times it's because we think he's keeping us at a distance. A lot of times it's for reasons similar to these guys. Be, because there are a lot of loud voices that have told them, God doesn't want nothing to do with you. You're a little too jacked up. You're a little too dirty. You're a little too messed up. We know what you've done. And so God doesn't want anything to do with you. And by effect, neither do we. And I can't tell you the amount of men and women I have talked to over the years that I've been a pastor that have kept God at a distance because other people told them they had to. Because other people made them believe God was keeping them at a distance. Now, now here's where Jesus, in one of the easily overlooked details, begins to demonstrate what makes him so incredible? The text tells us that he was traveling along the border between Samaria and Galilee. But we know that his destination is Jerusalem. If he's going to go to Jerusalem, the most direct route to Jerusalem is a straight shot south. But he's traveling along the border between these two towns that doesn't go north and south. It runs east and west. More accurately, it runs like northwest and southeast. It, here's the point. It's the most indirect route to take if you're going to Jerusalem. If you're going to go to Jerusalem, just turn south and go through the border, not along the border. Here's what I love about that detail. Here's this group of men on the border because that's where they've been pushed to, told by the society around them and the religious leaders around them, you're not worthy of God. And God says, I'm going to walk the border till I find them. Because he is the border walking God who goes out of his way to always find us and let us know how much we matter to him, no matter what voice has told us different. So he goes out of his way, not direct route. He goes out of his way and he comes to these guys. And it says from a distance, they start to cry out to him. Now watch this. What they ask from him is the bare minimum. Verse 13. And they cried out in a loud voice, Jesus, master, have pity on us. So here's what they're saying. If you would, maybe, like, would you feel sorry for us? Like, how about a, just like an emotional bone? Could you throw that to us? And I, 
man, I don't know if that's you, but I know I've talked to so many people that they think that that's about all that they're worthy of from God is maybe just a little bit of pity, maybe an emotional bone from God, but that's about all that they could get. And here's what I love. Jesus is like, no. I'm going to give you so much more than that. And this is what he does. When he saw them, he said to them, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. And he threw himself at the feet of Jesus and thanked him. He was a Samaritan. And Jesus asked him, weren't all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except for this foreigner? And then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Here's what I love. This is not just a healing of something small and simple. But this isn't like he fixed a headache or a cold. I mean, this isn't even like he took a blind guy and made him see. Right? This is a disease that literally, it makes you a complete outcast on every level. It puts you into a social class that nobody wants anything to do with you. This changes everything for them. It changes them physically. It changes them emotionally. It changes them socially. It changes them on every level. It literally reclassifies who they are in society. And, and he gives them this incredible moment. And what happens? Pallet fort. Pallet fort happens. One comes back. And I love Jesus here. It's almost like, is he being sarcastic? Didn't I heal 10 of you and only one comes back? So I'm like, see, sarcasm is biblical. So, so he's like, where's the others? But you know what I love about it? It says that the one that came back, I don't know if you caught this. It says when he saw, when he saw that he had been healed, he turned around and he went back and he thanked him. And it makes me wonder, did the other nine not look down? Did the other nine never go, what? Or did they, did they maybe just think Jesus was blowing them off and, and sending them to make them someone else's problem? Did, maybe things didn't happen the way that they expected. Maybe, maybe there was this hope that, okay, if, if you're God, then there should be this miraculous display. Or maybe it didn't happen in the time frame. Maybe it happened minutes after they left or miles after they had been walking but for some reason, they never saw what he did and never returned. But one of them took a moment to look and see, holy smokes, he just did this for me. And he returned. And it just makes me wonder if some of us aren't in a little bit of that pattern in our own lives. If I could go through this room, there's countless stories of things that are going on right now that you're asking God for. Maybe some of you don't even know how to ask him. Maybe some of you are waiting to be convinced that there is a him so that you could ask him something. But there are things that we would love to see God do. And I just wonder if some of us haven't gotten the habit of so often saying, God, will you, that we're neglecting to see what God has done. That we're looking at all the things that he hasn't. And we're overlooking all the things that he has. And that we're still the ones walking away because we haven't just looked. And I'm not saying there's not stuff. I got a pile of stuff that I want to see him do. So do you. But I'm saying the only pile that's bigger than what he has yet to do is what he's already done. And will you be the one that says thank you to him?
Will you be the one that returns to him? And, and here's the thing. When, the, the crazy thing about stepping into a moment with Jesus is that it, it has the power, and you see it in this guy's life, to change everything. See, one of the things that we've done wrong in the church, I think, sometimes is we develop this idea that, that our, our belief in Jesus and our, our faith in Jesus, it's, it's all about afterlife. When you step into relationship with God, it is not just about afterlife. It is about this life right here and right now today. It changes everything. This isn't just you get heaven. This is you get a personal walk with God now. Go back to the, story, the passage I, I took us to at the beginning, if you would. Back in Philippians, says this. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation... Every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Can we just be honest? We don't want to be thankful in every situation, right? It says, with thanksgiving in every situation. There's a lot of situations where I read this and I'm like, I don't want to be thankful in every situation. He said, but watch. In every situation, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Now watch this, verse 7. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Here's what we tend to want. If life is the way I want it to be, then I'll feel good. I'll feel less stressed out. I'll feel less frustrated. Life is good. I feel good, right? Life is bad or life is frustrating. My outlook is frustrating. My feelings are frustrating. My emotions are frustrating, right? I mean, it makes sense. But here's where Jesus is crazy. And the way of Jesus is absolutely paradoxical, but it works, And this is what this text is telling us. Gratitude will change your attitude. What we want is we want everything to work out and then we'll feel good. And he says, no, actually, here's what's crazy. I've literally made your brain in such a way that when you live with gratitude, it changes your attitude. See, gratitude is your choice. How you then feel becomes the effect. Changes everything. And, and you see it in this guy because there are these two important words in this text. One says that, that when Jesus said, you are cleansed, that was something that all 10 of them got. And, and they go away. And then the one sees it and he comes back. But the passage wraps up with Jesus saying, your faith has made you, what do you say? Well, those are two different words. When, he, when it says that they were cleansed, that's a reference to what happened on the outside. Literally the physical condition they had was taken away. God did that for them. But because the one acknowledged it and with thankfulness returned, there became this moment between he and Jesus that went so much deeper than just something on the surface. The well that he was made is a reference to him being made right with God. That suddenly he stepped into this immortal, eternal relationship. Why? Because gratitude became the path that led him back to his maker. It changes everything. Everything. Ann Voskamp, she's an author and a speaker, says it way better than I will, so we'll use her quote. This is what she says. Being joyful in what makes you grateful. Being grateful is what makes you joyful. Being grateful is what makes you joyful. So I just want to offer you just a really quick challenge here this morning. For those of you that are in the room and you're like, man, I get this, and I, I, yeah, Jesus, and I'm following him, and this is right, and this is good. Here's my challenge to you. At some point this week, Find somebody in your life that has been a part of helping you in your journey. Maybe it was 10 years ago. Maybe it was 10 days ago. Maybe it was 20 years ago. But who's somebody in your life that was one of the voices that did not make you feel like you had to keep your distance? 
that you came to believe Jesus loved you because of how they loved you. Thank them and let them know how much that matters. And for others of you, you're like, I'm not there, man. I don't, I don't, I don't know what I think of God yet. I guarantee there is somebody in your life right now who desperately needs somebody to let them know that something they have done matters. And your gratitude has power in it. Offer that to them.